Welcome to My American Melting Pot, the podcast where we tell stories and have conversations that meet at the intersection of race and real life. I'm your host, Lori L. Tharps. I'm an author, a journalist, a mother of three, and a self-proclaimed diversity diva. I'm really glad you're here because this episode is personal. Hello, Melting Pot community. Today's episode is going to be a little different. If you recall, at the end of season two, I announced that I was heading to Spain for the summer to rekindle my romance with this country that had been my first true love. I was going back after 10 years away because I discovered that Spain was starting to come to terms with her own black history. This was really inspiring for me to hear because previously, Spain had kept her black history hidden, which in turn led to our breakup. So today on the show, you're going to hear what I'm calling an audio memoir of my return to Spain after almost a decade away. And by the way, this audio memoir is divided into five acts. Today, you're going to hear acts one and two. And on our next episode, you'll hear acts three through five. Chapter one, the backstory. In 2008, I wrote a book called Kinky Gazpacho, Life, Love, and Spain. Actually, that's not entirely true. Yes, Kinky Gazpacho was released in 2008, but I was kind of writing this book my whole life. In Kinky Gazpacho, I chronicled my on-again, off-again relationship with Spain, a country I fell in love with at first sight, or rather at first mention in my fifth grade Spanish class. There was no particular reason for my blind adoration, Spain just appealed to my 10-year-old self, a self who already loved color and drama and passion, but who was stuck living in boring old Wisconsin. And what's more colorful, dramatic, and passionate than flamenco music, bullfights, and life-size statues of the Virgin Mary? But while Spain was undeniably a colorful country, she seemed to have a problem with my color. It only took one visit to Spain to realize she did not understand blackness. So I felt compelled to write Kinky Gazpacho because I needed to reconcile my complicated relationship with Spain. Because I married a Spaniard, and then I had two black and Spanish children. It was really for my children that I went on this quest to find some way to make peace with a country that seemed to have no connection or respect for my people or my culture. Let me break that down a little bit. When I was a junior in college, I decided to consummate my relationship with Spain by spending a year studying at the University of Salamanca. Salamanca is a small college town in the center of Spain and is renowned for attracting students from all over the world. Right before my airplane touched down in Madrid, I remember scribbling in my journal, I know Spain is going to change my life. Just like my childhood idol, Josephine Baker, before me, I was ready to find fame, fortune, and myself in Europe. Only, I was going to find it in Spanish instead of French. But that's not what happened. Instead, I found people were brazenly staring at me because I was black. When I walked down the street, I was hounded by men calling after me, Morena! Negrita! Or my favorite, Chocolate! One woman even used me as a form of punishment for her child. Imagine this. She's walking down the street with her child, and her child was having a temper tantrum. She looked at him, and then she looked at me and said to her child, if you don't stop, I'm going to give you to that. 
and she pointed at me. I was the that. I was the threat. The child stopped crying. But it wasn't just the way people treated me, like an exotic animal or a freak of nature. It was the complete lack of awareness and respect for Black culture and Black history that really frustrated me. Blackface was still a very popular costume in Spain for Carnival, for Christmas, and Halloween. Negrobilia was everywhere, but without context or concern, grotesque characters of Black people really isn't cute. And then there was this subtle and not-so-subtle racism embedded in the Spanish language and culture that nobody was willing to address. If I brought it up, I was accused of being overly sensitive and oh-so-American. Spain isn't racist, I was told. Americans, they're racist. To be clear, there were lots of things I loved about Spain. The food, the passion people had for life, siesta time. And FYI, siesta is not just a time to take a nap. It's a time to relax and connect with family and friends and with oneself. But if it hadn't been for the fact that I fell in love with the Spaniard, I probably wouldn't have made it a priority to ever go back to Spain after my year in Salamanca. But I did fall in love, and we did get married, and we did have children, and I did start writing that book so I could show my children that their unique heritage, Black and Spanish, did make sense, that they made sense in Spain. So back to that quest to find some connection to Blackness in Spain. Kinky Gaspacho didn't start out as a book. It started out as an article for a travel magazine. On a hunch, I pitched a story promising to find some remnants of African history in Spain based on the fact that the Spanish controlled the ships in the transatlantic slave trade, and they forced most ships to stop in Spain to pay a tax on their way to the quote-unquote New World. I figured there must have been a few enslaved Africans who found themselves living in Spain. Turns out, I was right and then some. There weren't just a few enslaved Africans living in Spain— There were thousands of enslaved Africans living in Spain between the 15th and 19th centuries. And when I say Africans, be clear, I don't mean North Africans from present-day Morocco. I mean sub-Saharan Black Africans who share the same ancestral lineage as Black Americans. And Spain's Black history didn't stop when slavery was abolished either. Formerly enslaved Black people continued to live in Spain once slavery was abolished, Black Americans came to Spain in the 1930s to fight in the Spanish Civil War, and Black writers and artists emigrated to Spain throughout the early to mid-20th century to escape American racism. Discovering all of this information made me feel like I struck Black gold, pun intended, and I chronicled all that I found in my article and then in Kingi Gaspacho. By the time I finished writing the book, I had completely changed my mind about Spain, I realized that Spain did have a connection to my culture, to Blackness. But the thing was, the average Spaniard didn't know anything about their Black history. And what's worse, most of them denied it, even when I showed them all of the things that I had discovered in my research. But since nobody else was talking about African slavery in Spain, because there were no mentions of Black Africans in their textbooks, And because there is nary a statue nor memorial to Spain's Black slaves, citizens, or soldiers, I found myself in an even more frustrating situation. To know that Spain had a Black past, but nobody cared? That broke my heart and then hardened it. My love affair with Spain was officially over. Ten years passed and I stayed away from Spain. 
It was easy because life got in the way. I got a new job. My husband quit his job to go back to school. We had another child. I never said aloud that I was avoiding Spain, but I was. Even when my husband and kids went back five years ago, and then again in 2017, I made excuses why I couldn't go too. I wasn't ready to see Spain again. I wasn't ready to forgive her. But then, Spain called me back, and I couldn't resist. Chapter 2. Black History Comes Out of the Closet. Dicieron un día así, tú eres diferente. The inciting incident that convinced me it was time to go back to Spain was a movie. A documentary, to be more precise. Gurumbe, Andalusian Memories, explores the African influence in that most Spanish of all art forms, flamenco. And in the telling of that story, the filmmakers were obliged to tell the full story of Spain's hidden history of African slavery as well a history that began in the 14th century and continued through the 19th century. I actually saw on the screen some of the same people I'd interviewed for Kinky Gaspacho 10 years before, as well as a deeper exploration of how influential African people had been in forming contemporary Spanish culture. I got a chance to speak with the filmmaker Miguel Angel Rosales after the screening of Gurumbe. And he told me that all over Spain, there's this growing interest in excavating Spain's Black history. Once I saw Gurumbe, and after that conversation, I started to do my own research and realized that, indeed, there was a lot of activity happening around Spain's history of African slavery. I found new books. I found articles, conferences, state-funded research projects. This was so different from when I'd been doing my research for Kinky Gaspacho. I have to admit I was intrigued. What was sparking this new interest? And then I discovered there was a growing expat community of African-Americans who were now calling Spain their home. How could this be, I wondered? How could this place that had vexed me for so long now be the preferred landing spot for Black Americans looking for a better life? And why now, after all these years, was the academic community and even the Spanish government ready to pull this long-buried history into the light? I started feeling the stirrings of compassion and forgiveness towards my very first love. Maybe Spain and I could rekindle our relationship if she was finally ready to recognize her Black past. I knew it was time to go back. I wanted to see for myself what was happening in Spain that was attracting Black Americans to live there, as well as what was inspiring academics and artists to delve into the past. So armed with my tape recorder, my notepad, and my family, I headed back to Spain, specifically to the city of Cadiz in the south, to see how the country was finally coming to terms with blackness. When I arrived in Spain, one of the first things I did was arrange to meet with Miguel Ángel Rosales, the director of the documentary Gurumbe. Miguel Ángel and I met for breakfast in the beautiful southern city of Jerez de la Frontera, and we sat at an outdoor cafe before the temperatures would rise into the 90s. We sat at a table sipping fresh-squeezed orange juice and coffee and talked about his film and about Spain's Black identity. Thank you, Miguel Ángel, for talking to me about your amazing film, Gurumbe. Thank you for this interview and for your interest and your support in my work. So, can you please tell me what inspired you to make Gurumbe 
and why were you interested in exploring Spain's black history? I've been thinking about that uh, while making the movie. I originally found out about the history of the rhythms that flamenco has, and slowly I started finding more and more information about slavery and the history of slavery in Spain. And from there, I just found myself more and more excited about this history. And what I found made me wonder about my own identity and about how present these concepts are today, like slavery and race. Uh, it's been a continuous wondering about these issues while working on this film. Plus, it gave me a place to situate myself and to have another perspective about my own identity and my own birthplace. Once I started thinking like that, I started to question all the cultural expressions that I grew up with, like flamenco and my religion. Do you think that you're thinking this way? Did that make you different? I mean, many Spaniards do not think that way, do not have those questions. Why you? I don't know. Maybe studying anthropology has to do with it, uh, but not only anthropology. My interest is not only an academic interest. Uh, I've always looked at things in a non-conformist way. Uh, I've always seen myself as a rebel about the things I've been told about my country. Uh, I'm not a person of color, but I've always felt like an outsider in both Andalusian and Spanish society. So these issues have allowed me to find answers to my own feelings of otherness. I think there are people who feel their identity as a wound, uh, something that makes them feel unwhole. And I've always felt that way about Andalusia. And this has to do with how I've interpreted my own history and the history of my own land. Learning all about Spain's black history puts me in a place of peace with certain things. What was the most surprising or fascinating thing that you discovered about Spain's connection to Africa or to blackness in your research for the film? Well, a lot of things. First, the importance of the black population. From a numbers standpoint, it's really impressive. For example, we are in Jerez right now, and it's probable that in the 16th century, 10 to 12 percent of the population was black, of which 8 to 9 percent were enslaved. That's an impressive statistics. We're talking about one of the only historic black populations in Europe. Of course, now there are black populations all over Europe, second and third generations and beyond. But we are talking about black populations that were born and involved in European society here in Spain. Even though we could debate whether or not Spain was really part of Europe at that time, I think they still belong to the periphery. That's just for starters. Then, of course, there is a huge legacy black people left on such important cultural touchstones like our religious brotherhoods and on flamenco. But then there are things that are even harder to prove, but are obviously connected to our African past, like the way we move and the way we talk. I think there are many Mande and Bantu words in our language, and I just find all of this really fascinating. What words in Spanish do you think might be influenced by African influence? Well, la etimología es siempre un... 
Una disciplina complicada, ¿no? Nunca se puede hacer. Etymology is a complicated field. You can't always prove the origin of words, but for example, the Cuban anthropologist Fernando Ortiz claims that the word chulo comes from the type of dogs used to fight the bulls. Chulo was written with an X, and it looks like that word could be Bantu or Mande. And then you have words that we use in Andalusia, like Quilombo, Zambomba. I could make a list. There's a lot in our everyday language. It is clear that the black population has left us many things. I say many things because there was a popular culture that was built from the bottom of society to the top. Our popular culture, our musical and verbal expression, all comes from the bottom of society, and then these things move upwards and are assimilated into the mainstream culture. And of course, you have the opposite dynamics as well. In that up and down flow of culture, the black population in Spain had a huge role, as demonstrated by many historical documents, literary works, etc. Muy gorda, como lo lo demuestran por muchísimas crónicas, muchísimas testimonios literarios, etc. With all that evidence in the music, in the language, in the culture, does it surprise you that people aren't more aware of this? And we know that they're not more aware. Why aren't they? Why is there still this unknown aspect of Spain's own connection? Sí, no, totalmente muy muy sorprendente. I know it's really surprising. There's no acknowledgement. The ignorance about Spain's black population, about this community, is really unbelievable. I think this can be explained, though, by Spain's own history. After the 19th century, Spain had a very complicated history. It was very violent, and there were many changes. And I think slowly Spain was building an identity, and also Spain has a complex with its place within Europe. Does it belong to Europe or to Africa? It's a little bit of schizophrenia. Having had the Muslim presence for eight centuries, having had Sephardic Jews, Blacks, and so many other types of people. That was an impediment to building a white European identity and belonging to European liberalism, humanism, etc. So that story gets rebuilt by negating the presence of all these people of color. They also whitewashed the presence of the gypsies. The gypsies became a group to be marginalized or expelled. At the same time, they were racialized and exoticized. They turned them into an exotic object for a little flavoring in the Spanish essence. Although the Jewish and Arab heritage is told like a fable, and of course, the black presence is also negated because we're talking about a time in the 19th century when racism is in academia. Spain is also trying to build a nicer kind of version of its colonial history. And of course, while Spain is doing this, is still actively involved in the slave trade. In the 19th century, 60% of the slaves going to the Americas are transported by Spain. So Spain wasn't interested in telling anyone that they had black people in Spain or any link with the slave trade. Thank you so much, Miguel Angel. It was a pleasure speaking to you and good luck with your next projects. Muchísimas gracias, Lorin. Placer. Talking to Miguel Angel was so inspiring and informative. He really confirmed for me that things have indeed changed since the last time I'd been in Spain researching their Black history. 
He told me he didn't even think that he would have been able to make this film 10 years ago because people weren't ready to acknowledge Spain's active involvement in the transatlantic slave trade. But today, even though there still isn't an official Black History Month celebration in Spain, and the vast majority of the population is still skeptical when you bring up the idea that there were thousands of enslaved Black Africans living in Spain for hundreds of years, there is definitely a difference in the air. Whereas 10 years ago, I couldn't find anyone except for a few rogue professors who could speak about Blackness in Spain, this time I was meeting people in the most random of places, a bookstore, a ceramic shop, a restaurant, who were well-versed in some aspect of Spain's Black history. These were just everyday people who might have seen Gurumbe or maybe read a book or attended a conference, but who are now very much aware that people who looked like me weren't such a rare thing in Spain. After meeting with Miguel Angel, I was eager to see even more of Black Spain. So I headed to the city of Sevilla. Ladies and gentlemen, we are reaching the station Sevilla Santa Costa. I came to Sevilla so I could go to the Capilla de Nuestra Señora de Los Angeles. This is a tiny little church sandwiched between two nondescript commercial buildings in the middle of the city. The church was founded specifically as a place of worship for the black citizens of Sevilla, most of whom were enslaved, although some were free. But slave or free, they were all allowed to gather and worship together in their own sanctuary. When I entered the church, I was just overwhelmed by what I saw. It's amazing in here. As soon as you walk in here, know that you're witnessing black history. There's black angels painted on the walls, little Cupid angels surrounding the Virgin Mary, but they're brown. And as soon as you walk in, you see a statue of San Martin de Porres, the patron saint of mixed race people, who's also black. In the front of the church on the floor is a placard announcing that Hermano Salvador Cruz, who was known as El Negro de la Casa, is actually buried here. It truly feels like a sacred space for the black people who lived in Sevilla in the 15th and 16th centuries. It's truly amazing. This little tiny chapel in the middle of the bustling city. A middle-aged man in jeans and a short-sleeved button-down shirt approached me when he saw me wandering around the building and kindly asked if I had any questions about the church. He told me he was a member of the church and had been his entire life. I was curious what he could tell me, and I expected he would share some whitewashed version of the history of the place, but boy was I wrong. We had a fascinating conversation about the church's history. In 1393, there was que eh, fundó un, un hospital para esclavos, para esclavos oh. que venían de África. He told me all about the church's origins as a sacred space for Sevilla's black citizens, dating all the way back to the 14th century. In 1393, there was an archbishop in Sevilla who founded a hospital for slaves who came from Africa. And that is when the Brotherhood of the Blacks was founded. They started worshiping a virgin that they initially called the Virgin of the Kings after the three wise men because of King Balthazar, the black king. Then they started worshiping Christ, and since then, the Brotherhood has been active, 
In fact, this year we are celebrating our 625th year. At one time, the Brotherhood had run out of money to worship the Virgin. So the church leaders, who were all free black men, went out and sold themselves as slaves in order to raise money. That was in 1656, more or less, I think. But the best part of the story is that when the man who bought them discovered why they had sold themselves, he set them all free. After we talked, the man gave me a tour of the church, including to a secret meeting room where only the church leaders were allowed. I felt like I'd been given a pass to a portal to the past. I also felt like this man really wanted me to know that despite the fact that there were no current black members of the church, they were still actively embracing and even showing off their black history. They were done hiding in plain sight. Right before I left, the man gave me a small poster to take with me. It was an advertisement for a recent Holy Day celebration held at the church. The poster was simple. It showed a statue of the Virgin, and she was surrounded by little children dressed up to look like angels. But two of the children were black. Once I left Sevilla, I felt like I was wearing black-tinted glasses when I was walking around Spain. I felt like everywhere I looked, there was some evidence of Spain's black history. I walked by a bookstore in Cadiz and saw not one, not two, but four books in the window about Spain's history of African slavery. When I asked, the owner of the bookstore told me these books were becoming increasingly popular. I stopped by a religious icon store in Jerez and learned about more than a half a dozen black Madonnas and saints that are really popular in Spain. I saw a poster for a conference on Afro-Spanish identity in Madrid. I discovered another short documentary on YouTube about the African influence in Spanish music and religion. It was like a room that had been dark had suddenly become illuminated. Nobody could give me a precise answer as to why all of this research was happening now. I think it was probably a slow build that was just finally seeping out into the mainstream. After all, I found a lot of this information 10 years ago. It's just that today it's being publicized on a grander scale. Plus, the internet. The internet has allowed people to share information faster and to a wider audience. 10 years ago, the internet was not a reliable source. The fact of the matter is, now that Spain's black history has come out of the closet, there's no way it's ever going back in. The question I still had, though, was, what impact, if any, will it have on contemporary Spanish culture, and more importantly, on the Black people who currently call Spain home? Because I also discovered that just because Spain is ready to embrace her Black past doesn't mean she's ready to embrace the Black people who call Spain home today. That's it for part one of my audio memoir. I hope you enjoyed the journey. Please tune in in two weeks for part two, where you'll find out what it's really like to live in Spain from the perspective of Black Africans, the Afro-Spanish people, and African-American expats. Spoiler alert, Black Americans have it way better than the rest. But like all things kinky gazpacho, it's not all black and white. In episode two, you'll hear from a variety of Black people who call Spain home, as well as what the official statistics say about racism and the quality of life for Black people in Spain. 
as they say, the journey continues. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and please do come back for episode two. In the meantime, check the show notes on the blog to learn more about the people, places, and things I discovered on my trip to Spain. Also, if you've ever been Black in Spain, I'd love to hear about your experiences. Leave me a message on the blog or on the My American Melting Pot Facebook page. And as always, if you haven't already, please leave a rating or review of the podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. I really appreciate you doing so. Episode 19 of My American Melting Pot was recorded at WRTI Studios in Philadelphia. Our editor and producer is Brad Linder. Our sound engineers are Joe Patty, Tyler McClure, and Paul Marchesani. And our theme music was composed by Sumi Tanoka. This episode also included the song Flamencología by Knowledge, which you can find at the free music archive. Thank you for listening and always remember to live your life in color. Adios!